Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, guys. What's up, guy? Where's your killer, bro? Yeah, I got Scott Bass here. David Lee Scales. You're listening to Spit, and I literally have a spit blocker in front of my microphone. David, you've upped your game, your hardware. This is full-on professional. Thanks. Had to do it because of all the spewing of surf talk that's been going on. I sense that Chaz Smith has spat into this <laughs> spit blocker. <laughs> I'm smelling the breath of Chaz, and it's Shoot, not pleasant. You're right. I actually should get individual spit blockers. Oh, I apologize about that. <laughs> Who knows what's germs are crawling on this thing you don't want to know actually <laughs> oh um, dude you abandoning the chop hop look no what happened to my hair you cut it oh yeah i cut my hair yeah you i do it. that i do that once in a while you, you should try that but yeah, i guess <laughs> i'm going for with the hairline blue. receding it's you want to keep it. exactly that's the idea is grow it out and then push it forward <laughs> I'd Full like to, 360 yeah. chop hop now, I should not make, just 180. I shouldn't make fun of your hair receding. That's mean. Well, I it's just, no, it's okay. It doesn't even hurt my feelings, as it turns out. Oh, good. Um, that's not my aim. Hey, Scott. What? I have something special. Oh, first of all, we're recording live at Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. That's Surfingheritage.org. Got this giant. What's the date? Uh, November 14th, 2017. Tuesday, November 14th. Got this giant stack of Surfer's Journal uh, hardcover volumes in front of me. All sorts of surf history surrounding us. Yes, uh, yeah. In the library of the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. If you're ever in San Clemente, you'd be remiss if you didn't stop by here and take a peek. It's pretty awesome. And I David saw- and I see it all the time. So we're a little jaded. Not jaded, but... Um, softened by the yeah. power of this place but um it's overwhelming it is it's really cool i know i saw todd glazer post an instagram yesterday that he's um doing an art exhibit here like a, a exhibit of photographs from proximity mm-hmm. like pre-production photos that they actually never ended up publishing um bunch of portraits that looked really amazing so they're doing that here there's all sorts of stuff going on at all times Cool, man. Hey, dude. I've got a gift for you from a listener. A gift? Uh-oh. Sun, sunblock. Oh. Lip balm. Okay. Um, startup sunblock company out of the South Bay, I believe. Cool. So I'm holding in my hand Octave, A-U-C-T-I-V. David's just handed me Sun Protection Formula 15. It's a lip balm, which I'm a big fan of lip balm. So coconut lip balm from Octave. And it's a three-pack, and I'm psyched on that. And also organic vanilla face sunscreen with an SPF of 30 from Octave. So I've got a broad-spectrum SPF here, and um, it's very water-resistant. And I'm looking forward, and thanks so much, David, and yeah. our listener Yeah, I've Octave. Been, I'm a big fan of this stuff. I used it over the course of the weekend, the face stick, and uh, I like it. I, first of all, I like the face stick that has been introduced into the um, sunblock world in the last five years or 10 years or whatever. Yeah. Um, Zero migration. You know, it's just like you rub it on and it stays where it is and water protect, like the water doesn't. Zero migration. That sounds like a marketing term. You've been reading up on this. I have a little bit. That's pretty good. This is not a a paid advertisement for the record. They just sent this us this as a gift, but I do like suns or uh, face sticks a lot better than like the rub on lotion. You know what I mean? 
So, so the spit that's coming out of our mouths that's got like 100% migration. Exactly. The nose dribble from the from the morning session that's like 100% migration. The nose dribble's the worst, dude. Cuz it <laughs> so takes funny. Well, because it takes a while to actually release, you know, it's not like you, you get out feel of water it coming, right? You feel it coming but not enough to do anything about it. It's only enough to like maybe lean away from your computer so it doesn't drip directly on the keyboard. Well, it's kind of like a fart, too. Like, it's kind of okay. Like, you're okay with it. Everyone else isn't. But I'm like, oh, cool, some dribble coming out of my nose. It's a good reminder of the morning session. It, that's sure. what it is, right? Yeah. It jolts the memory a little bit. But it doesn't happen in the first five minutes. For me, anyways, it takes like 30 yeah. to 45 where I'm well into dry land, well, like, changed into my normal clothes You're for the, the day. <laughs> yeah, and then it hits. And as soon as it comes, like you said, you can identify it for about three Mississippis before it hits. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like... Okay, I can't actually. I have nothing to catch this with, and I am at the bank, and it's just going to pitter patter like on the marble, you know. Or I'm the, quite <laughs> proud of my nose dribble or whatever. What is the phrase? We need a phrase. Po- uh, Post nasal drip. I yeah, think that's it is. too scientific. There's got to yeah. be more surf lingo, surf vernacular involved here. Well, but we can come up with it. I mean, we'll, nose spit. Yeah, nose spit. <laughs> so I'm quite proud of my nose spit. Like when I feel it coming, I'm not. In any way, am I ashamed of it at all? I'm just like, yeah. And people are like, oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah, you know, good waves this morning. Or what, you know. It's an anyway, indicator. I'm not, I'm not, like, disgusted the way I would be with if it, if it was, like, a fart or something where you're like, oh, there's a gross essence that's associated this. with it. So women, though, gen- generally are grossed out by I it. I know, but. Because they think it's snot. They're just like, what yeah. is wrong with you? Right. You are a filthy, sick human being. Go home, you know? <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no. It's You could tell by the viscosity. Like, there's no viscosity. It's purely water. Trust me, honey. It's water. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't go very far, does it? Yeah, you lean over for a, right when you feel it coming, lean over for a kiss. And this just, just happened to me and my wife recently, no yesterday or the day before. <laughs> you soaked her? I didn't soak her, but I mean, and it, and it wasn't one where I felt the tremblers coming. It was an instantaneous, oh, shit, yeah. it's coming. It's flowing out. Because when your nose is cold, you sometimes don't feel it coming, you know, like if it's right after a cold session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't sense it coming, and it, and it did drip down on my wife, and I wasn't stoked on it. As, no. Actually, as I look back, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, honey. That is yeah. gross. Yeah. However, the waves were good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so does it happen to you every session? Well, if it's a beach break session, I notice like when I get kind of pounded and held yeah. down or I'm duck diving a lot, it, it happens more. If I'm just like paddling out dry hair to reef and I'm not doing a bunch of rinse cycles. Yeah. That's exactly what it is for yeah. me too. It comes with a lot of wipeouts basically. Yeah. Time spent underwater. It does. Um, barreling waves always happens. Yeah. You know? Which yeah. is the case of late. I don't know about you, but the beach breaks, the south swells, the weekend waves were really good. So, Dude, seriously, I was surfed out after the weekend. Yeah. How good was Saturday and Sunday, right? So good. Saturday had a combo of swells, a west-northwest and a south swell. So we got that mixed up beach break was kind of thumping and mean and... I got it's it's so hard to not brag about a barrel, right? But I did get one barrel backside that was probably one of the best I've ever one of the best visions I've had in a long, long time. Did you make it? No, did not make it. But I took off late. The thing was, and it was a corner. It was this definite shoulder, and it was dredging. And I just kind of stopped. I did like a foot stomp, back foot stomp, stall, and just set my rail. And the thing just went and just burped over me and I stood there not pig dogging just stood there and I remember going oh my god this is one of those visions from like Skeleton Bay or something like I was just like wow and especially for the place I was surfing it wasn't like I was at Blacks or Oceanside where that happens a Mm -hmm. lot so I was pretty 
But, you know, in the big picture, I think if you were on the beach watching it, you'd be like, oh, nice head dip. But in my or, vision, I was like, oh, my gosh, greatest tube ever. In in hindsight, like now that you had that, if you could go back and do it again, do you think the wave was makeable? Or just yeah, a straight Yeah, I think closer? it was. I don't think my level, my ability is – is like a backside in the barrel and the board I was riding, I was riding a step up. It's more of set the rail and hope. It's not like I'm in there, 52-year-old, pumping – the rail back and forth, you know, all, uh, you know, whoever. Chris Ward. Yeah, exactly. Jamie O'Brien. Yeah, somebody even maybe lighter and younger and more, um, you know. Those are my reference points from when I was growing good. up. You know? Those are pretty good. I mean, that yeah, that would be a good example. I just always remember seeing Chris Ward weaving through backside barrels at like a – like so many times in old lost videos, surfing yeah. like Tavaru or something, yeah, Fabric, doing yeah. like 10 readjustments and pumps and weaves and like holding the rail, letting go of the rail, weaving, grabbing the rail again, like really intricate. It's funny you bring that up because I, so I rode a six, six that day and I got that really good and the waves were fun. And, and so, the, but the next day I was like, gosh, I want to weave. Like if I could have made that, I think if I was on a smaller board. So the next day I brought out a five, nine, that Channel Islands twin fin that I've been riding, but I put a stabilizer fin in the back because the waves, you know, it was a beach break. And because that was my hope, you know, that if I got another one of those, I need to be able to break my line and do that. And that board for sure does that, but I never got had that moment. But I was thinking along the same lines as you. So let me ask you this then. When um, that wave started to really bowl out and you got the opportunity, did you feel any fear? No, maybe just like a moment of, you know, wiping out backside in the barrel is always harder than it is frontside. But I got to admit, I kind of ejected. You know, like I was in it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is insane. Oh, before this thing nails me on the back of the neck, I should eject because I don't feel like I'm going to make it out. Like the thing was pretty far out in front of me, maybe a foot or two. But but it was such a glorious and big heaving thing that for a moment I was like, wow. I, I had I had that one or two seconds where I was like, Wow, this is incredible as opposed to I need to be in um hurry up and make it mentality. Yeah. I was more like stunned by how beautiful it was, you know, yeah. and the sound. It was one of those ones where I got the sound too, the you know, and so it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. I um I still get hit with or struck with a little bit of fear in those situations where it's like I'm not used to surfing barreling beach breaks all the time, you know? And so when the waves actually turn on and like the swell is forecasted, you show up, it's well overhead dumping waves. And then you get yourself into that. And when it really starts to bowl out, you know, there usually when you're in that position, there's nowhere else to go. It's not like you get straightened out at that point. So you have to pull in, but I still get a tinge of fear. Yeah, I, like, I, Ooh, I man, probably do too. This is kind of gnarly, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if fear is the right word, but maybe it is. Maybe I'm just like a wanting, for, like, like for me, it's like a wanting for a different option. Like if I could straighten out, I might take that road oh, if right. nobody was looking, you know? Well, and you I and don't, I, you but and I both know the best option is to pull in anyway, of course, right? Like, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I do know, and, and it's funny because especially backside, right it's better if it's mean and throwing and it only gives you one option i always find it harder backside when it's that top tube that yeah. almond eye tube yeah. and you're like well i could go down to the bottom here but i should probably ride up high and try to and hope that it then opens up more right kind of like what Cloudbreak does Cloudbreak's yeah. kind of got that almond thing and then it goes wide but totally Anyway, wow, enough well, about us well no i was one final thought is you said when you ejected off that thing 
I was going to say, sometimes I've had that thought, but in that pit right there, it actually pushes harder and faster than it you ever will get pushed on any other part of the wave. And you'll end up making sections that you didn't anticipate making, especially if you're writing that six something, you know, it's like you'll, you'll just, it looks closed out and then you'll end up out the end of it before you even know it. And you're like, Whoa, what happened there? You know? Yeah. And it's hard to get used to that level of speed and that level of kind of, um, anticipation and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. My intuition was that I was not going to make it. Sure. I think if I had any thought that maybe I would, I would have held on, but I was kind of like, okay, here's the end of the line. And I dove off. Yeah. It's, we get so few of those kind of opportunities to really test our abilities in waves like that, that, um, you end up then having this conversation for the next two years (laughs) until you find yourself in another backside barrel, you know? Yeah. Um, It's, I'm such a big fan of, I mean, we all are right. Of, beach break barrels you know like when they're really good when they're clean when they're like okay yeah when they're heaving that much that you know that's your only option i'd rather have that i would too it all i kind of diverge from the norm where i prefer back like i'm more comfortable backside barrels than i am in front side i was starting to feel that way yeah. actually i get that feeling i think backside tube riding on when it's heaving and, and when it's throwing out like that um I don't know. Is it because we're leveraging off of our back heel and it just feels more comfortable? Like I have more control over how I'm going to set my line. Might be that. I I personally am more comfortable. Like my body just is more comfortable getting into that kind of pig dog stance than it is like crouching front side for some reason. Yeah, no, I I can totally see that. I, I it's I more get contorted, that. but it for some reason feels more comfortable for it me. Feels more relaxed, I think. I don't know. I'm starting to think back on it here as I see myself paddling into a big left. I just feel like yeah, maybe more in control. Well, you maybe the vision that I have, the way that I see what's happening in front of me is, maybe. is clearer. And it might be the third point of contact with your hand too, whereas front side, I feel like I'm in one position and I can't really adjust my leverage and my weight. Uh, I'm just stuck in that position. Backside, I do feel like I could lean forward. I could lean back. I could put it on my outside rail, inside rail, and adjust a lot more. And I guess a lot of it is the board that you're riding, how comfortable you are with it. I was riding – I've got this new Pat Ross and Impala, which is sort of his flatter rocker, um, sort of looks kind of like a California classic pintail, you know, like Hmm. wide points forward a little bit. But it's a four-fin, five-fin setup. And gosh, that board was working so good. Where would you get that thing? Um, I ordered it. I saw one online, like on Instagram. Pat posted one on Instagram. Uh, uh, two of them. Like he was like, "Here's a six eight and a seven two. And I'm like, "God, those are gorgeous." So I immediately texted him and said, "Hey, please order me one of. I want one exactly like that one." You know. And so you know, over the course of three four months, all of a sudden he's like, "Hey, your board's done. I'm shipping it over." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool." You know, it was sort of like a, wow. So he made it in Hawaii and shipped it over. Yeah. Wow. Awesome, dude. Well, I was riding a high-performance shortboard all weekend for the first time, honestly, in years. How'd that go? Like, fantastic, dude. Yeah? Yeah. I I actually felt really um, kind of ashamed that I haven't been riding one in recent years because I've been giving myself training wheels by riding, like, alternative shortboards that have more volume and stuff, but which I think is helpful when the waves are crappy. But when the waves are good, I still default to that equipment, and I realized – when waves get head high, I should be riding a shortboard. Um, just because the like I'm able to paddle it. I, my concern was I'm not going to be able to paddle it. I'm not going to have the stability that I'm used to now from alternative shortboards. 
that was not an issue at all. And then once I got up on my feet, the thing responds so much faster and the tightening, like turning radiuses are so much tighter. Yeah. So I like see a lip breaking that maybe on a different shortboard, I would kind of either safety surf and maybe go to the edge of the lip and try to tap it right. or go around it. This it's like straight up through the thing. And then I'm back in to the and way it feels like, like that's normal. That's where it needs to be anyway. Totally. Just, yeah. I know totally. that feeling and it's, it's liberating. And it's like, wow, I should be writing this more often, but you bring up the great point, right? A lot of times we just don't have good waves. Like yeah, for you and I at our, um, you know, basically I don't want to have to wank the board up to speed in a crappy wave. So I go to this alternative craft, but when we're surfing a legitimate beach break that's offering speed and power in the wave itself and we don't have to generate it, isn't it great to be able to take off late, you know, kind of let the wave dictate the action, knowing that you're going to have the ability to get around sections because you're on this high performance board? Totally. Yeah, I'm a, I know what you mean. There's just this fine line, which is why for, you know, three decades I've been searching for the perfect tweener, you know, the board that's between a high performance yeah. and an alternative, of course. As you and I have discussed many times on this podcast, they're simply you get the the worst of both worlds. You get the worst of the yeah. high performance shortboard and the worst of the alternative wider board. True. Better to have one of each and pick and choose. Well, I felt kind of um, it, it was great <laughs> for bless you. It was great for my ego and my self esteem where I got out of the water feeling like, oh man, I can still surf. You know what I mean? Um, and by the way, that was a six O album. Oh, cool. The model I think is ledge cover. A cover. Yeah, I think the ledge is more of like an alternative style or like a... It's a step up, isn't it? Is it? Okay. It's kind of like what I'm writing. It's like a wide point forward. looks like a classic California pin from 78, but a modern bottom, modern rail. Four, five fins, three fins, whatever. Yeah, this board, on the other hand, is like thruster, high performance, short board, like thin, narrow. Um, But I, again, thrilled with it, really happy with it. Um, That actually, I put a question in my notes that segues perfectly from what we're talking about. You're trying to replicate a surfboard. I saw I'm on your. Glad inst- you brought that up. I, I saw on your bring- Instagram stories, yeah, dude. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to touch on that. Yeah. So I have a board, a beautiful board that I've had for nine or ten years. It's a quad fish. It's five ten. It's a John Bellick design. John Bellick's a Point Loma guy from the fish era, from the Stevie Liss era. That he's from that crew, and and he's a great surfer and a shaper, and um and he's well respected down there. Back then, I mean, I think. Any kid these days wouldn't even know who John Bellock is because John Bellock moved to Maui and got involved in the sailboard world and the sailboard industry in the 80s when that really exploded. And um, and he's lived over there since. But the old school Point Loma guys respect John Bellock as a sort of mad scientist guy who's very much into got it. hydrodynamics and stuff like that. So anyway, he made me a board. It's an incredible board, really fast, super fun board. And it's it's nine years old. Like It's getting to that place where it's like, I was surfing it one day and I was like, God, I just love this board. I never don't want to have this board. You know, it's mm. one of those boards where you're just in love with it. And so I was like, I need to get it re- replicated or mimicked or copied. But John's in Maui. I don't know how to get a hold of John Belk. I haven't spoken to him in nine years. He did a podcast with me one time a long time really? ago. Really? Yeah. But um, maybe there's somebody that can I can give this board to and we can try to copy it, you know? So uh, my friend Roy Sanchez, who's a great shaper and a great craftsman, and he's he's got some Nordic on his on his I think his mother or no his his mother's side I think is Nor Norwegian, and his goes back to these great boat builders. He's got a lineage of boat building and craftsmanship, and 
Anyone who knows Roy Sanchez from San Diego knows he's a great surfboard shaper, but he's just not well known. He's one of those like, um, you know, uh, what do you call it when they're underground? Well, and he just does a lot of production work. Oh, okay. Yeah. And underground. So anyway, I go, Roy, will you help me with this? And he goes, yeah. And I go, there's a problem. This is not a problem, but it's made out of XTR foam, you know, out of Javier's foam, which is an extruded, uh, extruded polystyrene, I think, foam. Yeah. And so it's not easy to shape. Um, I think the guys at, at FCD, at Fletcher Chenard Designs, the Patagonia boards are made out of this foam. Yeah. And it's a very difficult foam to make, to hand shape. You know, like they'll cut it on the machine and even finishing it after the machine's done with it can be difficult. So I said, Roy, you know, he's like, dude, no problem. I'll grind through it. We'll do this. And so I gave my Bellic to him. And well, first I went up to Javier and I'm like, hey, I want to replicate this board. And he's like, oh, I don't know, man. This is... And he had a good time looking over the board and going, yeah, this one's old. I remember this. It's been a long time, you know. And and since then, they've changed the way they glass boards a little bit. They're on XTR version 8.0, the glassing schedule. This one's a 5.0. Anyway, I don't want to bore the audience with all this stuff. But bottom line, yeah, I'm having this board replicated. Roy's done finished shaping it. I'm going to look at it tomorrow. I haven't seen it. And I'm going to take it up to Javier at Epoxy Pro and Oceanside and have them glass it. I'm going to put in, I think I'm putting in lockbox because it came with lockbox. And Javier's like, dude, if you're going to mimic this thing, let's get the same stringer flex or try to. In fact, that's one of the areas that Javier really brought out. He goes, you know, it's impossible to copy a board to, to mimic a magic board because the flex is always different because wood stringers, no matter what anyone tells you, the wood's always going to be different. Like, it's just not the same stringer wood. It came from a different tree. It's got different components. It's organically different. Different grain pattern. Yeah, yeah. thank you. And you know this better than most because you're in that space. But he's like, you know, it, it's going to be hard. And I, I know that. I said, Javier, I know we're not going to – I'm not expecting to get this thing exactly right. It's going to be a little bit different. I get it, but I'm going to try. He's like, okay. So he picked out a blank and he goes, but you sh- if you're going to do this, you need to stay with the same fin system. And so I'm going lockbox, which is ob- semi-obsolete. I don't yeah. even think it's in production anymore, but there's some lockboxes out there okay. floating around. So I don't know what your thought is. I'm thinking about, and Javier suggested that I stay with the lockbox system. Well, if you're committed to going full replica, then yeah, you got to. Kind of, right? Yeah. But then I'm committed to maybe not getting fins and I guess- not being able to change fin systems. Like I kind of want to go futures because I know that it's not going to be exactly the same anyway. Why not get fins yeah. that I can tweak well, on? Well, so that was going to be my next point is the initial question should have been or now can be um, can you ever fully replicate a board? Can you replicate it to 100%? efficiency and accuracy and the answer i was going to say the answer i think is no well the answer is no but according to javier he brought up a good point he goes look you see these pros like say colohe and dino or whoever he's a great example like matt biolos at lost gives him 20 boards for the hawaiian season and he might have say three six sixes that are exactly the same board because matt's like oh he's going to break one he's going to need an exact replica and chloe will ride those three boards and go this one of the three is the one i like i don't like the other ones true he chooses one and that's because of the flex pattern in the stringer why because they're the exact same you can replicate the shape you can get really 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 close to replicating the shape what you can't replicate is the way that the flex pattern works when you're on the wave the dampening or lack of dampening so javier was saying look Let's get rid of the wood stringer altogether. Let's just do like 
you know, that blue foam, like a really rigid foam that we know we can replicate. Or them. composite stringer. Or a composite, a carbon stringer. Yeah. You know, something like that. PVC, there's plastics the that you could thing. use. Yeah. You know, the but, that, but now that's an entirely different board. You know what I mean? Well, no, but I'm saying that if you just stick with that, if you start with a base of a composite stringer that you know you're going to get the same flex pattern, now you, the possibility of right. making a magic, of replicating a magic Got board, it. we have that. But... You said the difference between those three Chloe Andino boards is the flex pattern. I would say that's only one component that's different. You also got to realize those were all glassed by human beings, and there's variation in the glass jobs. There's variation in the sanding and the finish job. Like one edge might finish an eighth of an inch closer to the fins than the other one. And yeah. like those minute differences translate in the water. And, um, even though you said that they can replicate the shape on the machine to like a very close degree, there is still a degree of difference. Well, I, I would agree placement with you. You're might absolutely be, you right. know, it's just there's too much. There's too but many there's, hands involved. You're absolutely right. And if there's only one set of hands involved, maybe we can get closer and, and more discerning with every little nuance in the board shape. But I do feel like if there's one thing you can control from if it's just one guy building the board, it's all of those things. But what you can't control is the flex pattern in the wood stringer. Yeah. Well, so back to your question on the board that you're replicating, you're committed to doing it precisely the same. So then you got to get the same fin boxes and all that. I think the alternative method was to accept defeat or futility from the beginning and just try to get something as close as possible, maybe with upgrades. If we know the lockbox system is inferior to futures, then maybe just opt for futures instead. I don't know if inferior is the right term. I, I think that the lockbox system was actually really kind of brilliant. Like it, it was pretty solid, you mm -hmm. know, like the hardware was, you know, it was like an American built, you know, Muscle Ford car. or something, you know, and Javier even said as much, like he said, look, the, the fin system's pretty cool. They had a tapered box, you know, like that round tape mm. wasn't a square thing. So, um, if you're, Trying to get that glassed on fin feeling. The lockbox is pretty close. Future, by the way, I'm a big fan of that mm -hmm. as well because they do have that really, like, you just feel like you get all the po power out of the base of the fin where the base of the fin meets the bottom of the fin. You really feel like you're getting that with lockbox. So I'm, I'm sort of, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm, I want to go futures because there's just a lot of, or even FCS for that matter, there's just a lot of options, right? Yeah. But um, you're right. If I'm going to be true to the original concept, which you already you've already committed to it, I feel. Yeah, it might be hard. Here's the other thing. Javier's like, I don't even know if I have the 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 uh, the, the router uh, bit. The, yeah, the the um, what do they call that jig? But, yeah, the jig. Thank you. The yeah. jig for the lockbox system. You know, good point. Well, and then Roy measured it. Roy Sanchez, the shaper, and he goes, you know, this one fin box is like five-eighths of an inch up more than the other one. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So now I'm like, oh, shit, do so I do it exactly like that? You do. You do. I think you do. Okay. Yeah, because that that might be the magic in the board is the imperfection. I agree. I'm some of, I know, you know, I've had that magic golden nugget surfboard from Mike Henson forever. I don't know if I've talked to you about it, but I used to rave about it. Okay. Best board ever. Wrote it for years. Wrote it into the ground. I yeah. literally wrote it until it was destroyed. And I still own it. But we had it, I took it and had it all um, like programmed and scanned and looked at by a computer, not to copy it, but just to check it out because I was like, this thing's insane. And um, 
And it was imperfect. It had so many weird, stupid, reverse, like crazy stuff. And of course, Maurice Cole, Morris Cole's reverse V was a mistake, yeah. you know? So I think some of the ugliest boards can often be the best riding boards. I agree. It adds personality, charm, like character. And so if you're always trying to manufacture to like technical, perfect specifications, you're eliminating any room for the unexplored realm. The, for know? the humanity of the surfboard. The humanity, which adds charm and character, but also there's magic that could exist right beyond what you think is the right answer, you know? Yeah, I wonder if people out there have their own magic board, if you look at it now and if you if you really – are there imperfections in it? Are there places in it where you're like, oh, you know what? I can tell that this rail is softer than this front side rail, you know, mm-hmm. the toe rail or whatever. Like you guys should look at your boards out there and your favorite one and determine if it's – as symmetric as you think. Well, we talk about asymmetry all the time. And, um, you know, I think it was Pat Curran who was like, I've never made a symmetrical board in my life. Yeah. I've tried to every single time, but they never are. So, And how many times have you seen a guy take a planer to a phone blank and he just starts whizzing through it? And you're like, God, how is – he seems like he's just going at it yeah. without any thought to, is this going to – am I overdoing it? I think at that point, they're just obviously trying to get down to like that last 10% where then they'll spend a lot of time refining to make it symmetrical. Yeah. They're just getting through the shell, you know? Um, Well, so this all leads to a conversation about having the right board for the right session. And I just watched a video, some recap stuff of the North Shore from the last week or two. They've had not big waves, but they've had waves. Yeah. A lot of Peter King stuff from Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there was somebody, some random filmer on the North Shore who documented a session at Backdoor, and there's this longboarder named Kai Salas yeah. who is charging Great Backdoor. Surfer. Yeah, no, and he's like, been charging out there for a long time. And like riding a high-performance longboard. It's thinner, and it looks like it has a two-plus-one setup, and getting <laughs> shacked. Yeah. and But I'm watching it going... He might be a world longboard champion at some time, or maybe. second place or something. Like He's at the top of the WSL's yeah. premier high-performance longboarders. Super impressive to watch him wrangle that thing through like throaty backdoor barrels and he gets one at pipe too. But I couldn't help but while I'm watching it wonder how good he would surf on a shortboard. Like you're killing it on the longboard and it's very impressive, but it looks like it's hindering really your full potential yeah, out there. Yeah. It's the wrong board for the wave. It is. As impressive as it is, right. wrong board selection. Here's buddy. the other side of that. He's catching a lot of waves. Good point. And if he's on, you know, like I see that a lot. We all see that a lot in our daily surf sessions. Yeah. Like I'm like, I'll be on a five, seven and it's three feet. And really I should probably be on a longboard or something, but I just want to get my WSL on my WCT on. And there's a bunch of guys on longboards. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that guy's on a longboard, man. He, you know, doesn't he know there's off the lot, you know, off the top moments out here or whatever. You know, I'm thinking this to myself, my freaky brain's going a hundred miles an hour. But really those guys are catching all the waves because they're on the right equipment. You know, and so there's that. There's a lot give of give and take. There is, um, and just this doesn't need a full discussion within the show, but it's worth noting. I feel like we're boring people with our. Discussion. I don't think so at all. I think this is what they want, man. Mm. Uh, the longboard champion is always, or not always, but in recent years, been decided just by one event, which is kind of a model that the WSL CT is transitioning to um, in 2019. The longboard model is getting shifted. Now it's going to it's not going to be decided by one event next year. They're having multiple events that'll decide the longboard champ mm-hmm. for the first time in years. Yeah, I'm 
you know, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of... Um, competitive longboarding? Well, I'm a fan of competitive longboarding, but it has to be, for me, as a fan, just from my end user experience, I'm not trying to throw my ethos on it. I think that longboarding is longboarding. Like, I think it should be at spots that are perfect for longboarding. Yeah. You don't ride a pipeline gun at Malibu right. just because you decided that pipeline guns were cool. Yeah. You know, you ride an, a classic old Malibu log, and that's where the longboarding thing should go down at waves like Malibu or C Street or wherever. I don't, you know, you know, there's longboard waves that are longboard waves. Everyone knows it. Why are we putting a round peg into a square hole? Well, it's funny when you watch some of the high-performance longboard comps and I remember a video last year. I might have posted it on Instagram. But the guy, like, he does a chop hop on the longboard, like, does this, like, slashing layback and then smashes the lip. And it's like, dude. It's it, hideous. It's hilar- hideous and hilarious. Yeah. It's like, just, it's laughable, actually. It's just kind of wrong. Yeah. But that's just my opinion on it, you know. Well, so We have microphones, so we are the experts. Oh, that's exactly <laughs> right. Thank you. Yes. By the um, way, I've I've – become recently very recently fascinated with cryptocurrency okay. are you familiar with this <laughs> yeah so i've not. been listening to some new podcasts about the whole bitcoin the yeah. whole thing is just like i'm just fascinated by the potential of what it means for our future but yeah. um, anything you want to educate no us on? i wish i knew i don't want to bore it this isn't a cryptocurrency podcast but i've been listening to some cryptocurrency podcasts and um, you investing I'm thinking about it yeah. just as a fun roll of the dice, nothing too heavy, but yeah. the whole thing's I'll hopefully I won't bore people later on in another podcast episode with it, but I just wanted you to know that's sort of in my brain right now, cryptocurrency. The other thing is I'm watching Vikings for the first time. Have you seen this series? I have not seen it. I'm familiar with it. Pretty cool. It's started on history. I'm watching it on Hulu. And I'm also watching Mind Hunters on Netflix, which is a cool show about the transformation of the FBI and the way that they profile and use psychology and understanding the psychology of these crazed criminals like Manson and stuff. Fascinating. Um, and so it's pretty cool. So Mindhunter sort of follows the FBI from the 70s when there's this real staunch conservative, that's not how we do it, to this one guy who sort of breaks the mold within the department so that they can start to look at um, these people from – an educational standpoint. Like we can learn from these people so that we can better track the freaks later mm-hmm. on. Mind hunters. Very cool. Um, I have an email I was going to read. Do you have anything you want to get into before that? No, go ahead. I mean, I've got a ton of stuff that we should get into. I mean, we've already gotten going here. This, um, this email will segue into some wave pool conversations. Um, said it was sent to hello at surf and Scott at boardroom show. Is that or surfboardshow.com. Either way. Scott at surfboardshow.com said, Hello, David and Scott. I have a theory I'd like to hear your opinions and thoughts on. Both Gabriel Medina and Carissa Moore are former world champs that were having an off year up until these last two events. Carissa was seventh in the world. Gabe was ninth. Gabe has won the last two events, and Carissa has made the last two finals, winning the former. Now they're both in the world title conversation. So what happened to them? Before they've they've made these miraculous turnarounds in Europe, they both won the Future Classic at Kelly Slater Surf Ranch. So the question is: Is the Wave Pool a magical place that helps the best surfers in the world find their groove and tap into their pure and tech their potential, their pure and technical form? 
crazy conspiracy, complete coincidence, or does surfing a perfect reeling wave without any question mark conditions help surfers in a slump realize what they're capable of? Alex Biscus was the one who sent that question. Yeah, and what a great uh, you know way to look at it. I and and you and I both responded, and I believe it is. I believe that the wave pool will help a guy get out of a slump. I I I feel like. Um, and I think there's proof in the pudding, right? I mean, we only have one case study, but both Carissa and Gabe won after surfing the wave pool and winning it. Did they both win at yeah. the wave pool? Yeah. And um, I think it's, look, it helps your technique to surf a perfect wave. We've all surfed perfectly groomed, beautiful offshore mornings when there's no one around. And because it's so groomed and perfect and the wave face is just ideal, you seem to be, you have moments, which is why you get your froth on so hard when it's offshore. You're like, it's going to, it's going to change quickly. I need to get my fins into this wave face where it's perfect, you know? And I do think it helps your, I think it helps technically. And I mentioned in the email back to Alec, I think it helps emotionally. Obviously, if you're surfing great, technically you've gotten better. You feel on top of your game. It's only going to help you from a mental standpoint, like, yeah. oh, you know what I do, I can do this. And these, these little blips in my recent competitive radar history, that's just what they are. They're blips and I'm going to overcome this. And that's been proven out, especially at the top level. These, everybody rips mm-hmm. and, and it's really a game of emotion at any top level sport, no matter what sport you're in, yeah. everybody rips. And so it's an emotional thing at that point. Like who's got the mental capacity to go, I can do this. Yeah. I I fully agree with everything that you said, and I've experienced it to much smaller degrees where up until like these last couple, like October, let's say, I feel like I've just had a very lackluster summer. I start in my head, my internal dialogue is like, man, I've really lost my, the pep in my step. Like I kind of suck at surfing. I just have to accept that I'm getting older. It is what it is. And then you get to run a good that you joined the rest of us (laughs) in agreeing (laughs) and stating that. I'm glad you're on board. <laughs> Not that you also suck, but that I suck. <laughs> yes. Um, but then you get a run of good waves and it, again, kind of elevates your ego and you're like, oh, no, I can still surf. I just needed head high waves to like test out my ability on. And so I could see that definitely being the case. The other, the flip side to that argument is you have super high expectations going to a wave pool like that. Like, Oh, it's a perfect wave. Whenever you have high expectations, they always fall. The experience always falls short. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. Whereas the days where you walk up to the beach and it's crappy and you're like, yeah, I guess I'll just go out and like catch a few. You end up having the most fun on those days. Cause your expectations are so low. So I could see the opposite happening where you rock up to that wave pool. You've been wanting to surf it for the last year and then you go, you go. I'm going to rip that thing. I'm going to get barreled for 20 seconds. And then you go out there and just blow it. Yeah. But at that level, those guys are so good. Yeah. Carissa and you know whoever, like, they're not going to bog. So then the bigger picture that Alex brings up is, um, you know, the wave pool is a place to go back and kind of get in the, you know, do the hard work. You know, go and get a trainer and and you know, like that's what you would do in football or basketball or whatever. You would work on your free throws or whatever and. And now the wave pool offers that to mm-hmm. guys. You know what? I'm going to go for four hours and serve a glassy, repetitive wave to just nail that turn so that when I do go out into these situations, I've been doing it for, you know, for four hours. I was doing this turn for exactly. four hours over and over and over, you know? Yep. Yeah, I think it's it's very valid point. I had another question somebody asked me is, why, if you look at all the people who have surfed that, the surf ranch, 
the guys who are surfing at the best are actually the older dudes. Like Pete Mel put out a clip, and it's like Pete was Shane Dorian's clip ripping. Even the Sean Thompson clip that you talked about at one point where Randy Rarick takes off on him. Like Sean does four backside cracks that are pretty gnarly, that are actually gnarlier than a lot of the young guys surfing it. And I, I hadn't really like solidified in my head until this listener mentioned it to me. And then I went back and watched the footage and I'm like, you're right. The adult, the kind of older guys, their flow is so much better in the wave pool. And the younger guys, Leonardo Fioravanti's footage. Yeah, Leo's footage, he looks way out of sync. Way out of sync. Way out of sync. On his toes, like anticipatory, always like jittery, waiting for the section. And then Pete Mel, by contrast, just flow. Yeah. Rap, drive, bottom turn. And like, I saw some footage of Evan Slater. I don't know if yeah, you saw Yeah, I saw it too. So I His guess backside I, wave? I guess Evan was up there, yeah. yeah. And so he, and him surfing backside. And so yeah, that's to your point, right? These guys that are flowing with the power. And did you see the recent one of, um, uh, who's the sharp eye? Felipe Toledo on a twin fin? No. Oh, it's pretty cool. Wow. And he's absolutely ripping it on a twin fin, okay. you know, but, but he's got the flow. He doesn't okay. have the Leo thing. You get the sense that Leo's like, everyone's watching me. And he was more worried about people watching him than actually having a Zen moment with the wave. But to the listener's point, I think that's been a pretty accurate assessment across the board is the older guys kind of are surfing the pool better than like the young WCT yeah. top 10 guys. Yeah. So that's really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Final thought on the wave. If you ever get a chance to surf that wave, do you think that... You're going to be, um, I mean, let's just say you go to Texas and you surf the Inland Surf Park because that's doable for us. Do you think that you're going to be in the flow when you catch the wave or are you going to be like a little bit hopped up, a little bit thinking too far ahead? Make no mistake, dude. I've been watching every single wave, wave pool clip prepping for that day and I'm going to try to just reset the fundamentals, dude. Just go with the flow. Not overthink it, not over-anticipate, just drive off the bottom, carve, drive, carve. Well, you know my experience from 
inland and surf in, in Austin, the yeah. surf park in Austin. Yeah. Don't go to the bottom of the wave. Okay. Right, right, right. Now, maybe that was just me being incompetent. You know, when I went to the well, bottom in- of the wave, maybe the board didn't bring me back up to the top, you know, maybe. But inland's also a different pool than Slater's pool. You know yeah. what I mean? So I, I'm thinking at Slater's pool, you could probably drive off the bottom. Because that wave well, that's actually what they has- seem to be doing. Some yeah. of them seem to be doing that. Totally. You know? I heard that Inland's going to change their technology, that they're upgrading to Wave Garden 2.0 or something like that. Awesome. So they're going to drain it and upgrade the plow so that it's... They're going to have to, dude, to yeah. compete in the market. And Surf, uh, Science Magazine, I don't know if you saw this, did a profile piece on Kelly and the Wave Pool. Yeah. And they did a fantastic job explaining it. Like, you and I have been tracking this thing for two years. They did a better job in three minutes explaining it to me than yeah. I done for myself in two years yeah and what Super. did you gather from it that it's just a it's a just a big plow that makes the wave break in a shallow part of the pool basically and um so yeah it's a plow underneath but also the um the drop off on the edges of the pool on the sides of the pool there's like obviously a big moat that yes. goes around it that's so that the water, the wave doesn't reverberate off the sidewall and then come back and right. conflict with like that. I didn't even realize, oh, that's super simple solution to the problem of backwash. But I didn't even realize that there was no backwash in the pool. Yeah. But that was obviously engineered for, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like a lot of little details like that. Um, but overall, it's not like you could tell your grandmother, huh? Grandma, yeah. there's a plow underneath that pulls and the, the water that it displaces finds a shallow part of the pool and that's where it breaks at the shallow part of the pool. Yep. And then also they showed um, what the contours on the bottom of the pool looked like. And I had not seen that before. Isn't it just deep and then it gets real shallow? No. There's a reef system. Really? Yeah. What do you mean? Like a reef system. It's not a flat pool? It's not a flat pool on the bottom. It comes to like – it looks like a mountain basically on the bottom of the pool. So like it's um, shallow. The mountain comes to a peak in yeah. the middle of the pool somewhere. And that's where the wave breaks. And then yeah. breaks down both sides. And right. I don't think it's like – I think reef is a misnomer. It's more like what an under – Yeah, well, but it's really a mount, a sea mount, right? An underground sea mount. Yeah. It's a gradual rise in the seafloor. So they didn't show it with – Without water in the pool, they showed like the artist kind of rendering of it, yeah. like a topographical map kind of. Yeah. And, um, but it did look like it had variations. It wasn't like it just came like a bell shaped curve, like it came up at a predictable rate. Oh, it kind of had some variation to it on either that's side. That's why the wave has moments where it fully barrels and other moments where it more is more of a top turn. Cause there's that one section at the end of Kelly's wave that just zips off, like yeah. guys don't make it. Right. Mm-hmm. But then, they can also program for that zip. like Exactly. So it's not just the bottom that yeah. is dictating. They're also doing something with the energy. Yeah. But then I'm looking, well, what, so does the plow, how does the plow avoid hitting the reef? Is the plow only, let's say, 10 yards off of the train and the reef is now 11 yards off of the train? So the plow just pulls and then the energy goes over the reef? Like yeah. those are some details I didn't quite decipher, but yeah. super interesting. Nevertheless, I'll put the link on uh, or the, the embedded video on spitpodcast.com. Well, speaking of wave pools, uh, I saw this press release. I thought it was kind of interesting. As of this morning, and this was last week sometime, former world champion Barton Lynch is on board with Surf Lakes. 1988 world champion Barton Lynch will join the team as a brand ambassador, according to the company announcement. Now, Surf Lakes is the one that they're building in Australia, in Queensland. And previously to Barton Lynch being on board, 
Mark Acalupo was the voice of Surflakes. But Surflakes has now brought on Barton Lynch. And why? Well, here, let me read from their press release. Surflakes right. says, We're proud to announce that former world professional surfing champion Barton Lynch has joined the team. The 1988 world champion, who currently features as a regular commentator on the World Surf League, is highly regarded within the surf industry and will commence as a brand ambassador taking immediate effect. Lynch's role will be centered on promotion of Surf Lake's brand during the ongoing rollout of Surf Lake's across the globe, with Mark Ocalupo maintaining his position as the face of the brand. Hmm. Lynch's communication skills will be used to the full. So they're basically going, look, Mark's a great face, but he doesn't communicate effectively. He makes our brand seem, I don't know, maybe less appealing, perhaps. What are we going to do, you guys? How about Barton Lynch? That guy is actually a very effective communicator. So they've got Barton Lynch to help communicate and Aki to just get the Grom frothed out. I'm wondering, um, do they need Aki? You know what I mean? Like Barton fulfills whatever it is that Aki's fulfilling in terms of credibility. He's a world champ. He's also a goofy foot, like whatever. But he's also professional. So at what point, you know what I mean? Do you need I both totally guys? I totally agree with you. I mean, as the as a if you were a you know, a principal interest in Surf Lakes, anytime Aki opens his mouth, you're kinda of going, Uh oh. You know, is he gonna damage the brand? I mean and and I, I don't Ma- worry about Aki's- the damage so much. I, I think like he's frothed out and he's super psyched and stoked and all of that so is Barton, right. And all of that is the value. I, I kind of sense that that at some point you're like I mean, I think he just nailed it. Barton covers it all. You know yeah. what I mean? Like at some point Aki could let out an F bomb or go, shoot, I don't know, I'm just gonna go have fun. Like he he kind of almost can you know, he's just such a He's just a big kid, Aki. I mean, we love him for that. I'm not here to bash no. Aki. I'm just saying that there could be moments when, as a principal interest, you know, somebody that's interested or that has a principal interest in this surf parks, you're going to be, I could see myself going, oh no, what's he going to say? Yeah, I guess if you wanted to have a like super stoked surf frothed ambassador, then Martin you, Lynch? No, well, you could just go Noah Dean or like somebody who represents the younger generation who like Barton Lynch covers all of Aki's bases. So now if you also need somebody who's like super frothed out and psyched, go a complete different route and appeal to a different market. Yeah. Martin or uh, Barton and Aki appeal to the same market. They have yeah. different sensibilities yeah. and different styles of doing things, but they still appeal to the same demographic. Yeah. So either go complete pivot with a young frothed out dude and keep Barton or Barton covers both bases. I think. Um, now I will give Aki a pat on the back. You know how he has the Ock cast, yes, and it was pretty terrible when it was audio only. But they've transitioned this last year into being a video thing yes. as well. Yeah, we talked about. He this. didn't, and it's gotten a lot better since then. Yeah, he's done an interview. His most recent one was with uh, Dave Rostovich. Yeah, it was fantastic. Oh, good, and so much so that I didn't even. Um, Listen, I didn't even watch the YouTube version. I actually listened to the audio only one and it was still very, very good because Rostovich is so good. Well, fascinating yeah. guy. So you're saying that Aki's game wasn't really upped, but it was just better that Dave was rolling. 
and he let Dave roll. Yeah. Part of Aki's problem in the past is he steps all over his guest. This he kind of let Dave go, and he still um, did not ask pointed questions or anything interesting. But Dave has so much of interest to say that it was a great, great podcast. Yeah. And look, it's a it's a learning process, you know. Like Aki's certainly not um, trained as a professional podcaster. Either are we. I mean, there are many more. many things that I do wrong. We have a lot more reps under our belt, which is our only saving grace. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, so the surf pool space race is on. We've got Surf Lakes. We've got Kelly Slater. We've got Wave Garden. There's a new one opening in Waco. I mean, it's kind of exciting times in the totally, surf pool dude. space. I, I think it's it's going to just go exponentially. We're going to see so much more of this. And I know there's a lot of people that are haters, you know. I know that Chaz has mentioned that he's anti. I know that Travis. He's, Chaz said he would never surf the pool. He's like, if I if I even got invited. I called him out I was, like a month ago. I was like, if you got an invite, would you go? He's like, absolutely not. Wow. Yeah. And Travis too. Travis from surf. Uh, where's Travis? From? Where does he work? Travis? From- what youth? What youth? How do you say his last name? I always butcher it. Is it Ferrar? I don't know. Fairy. Anyway, I'm not he wrote sure. a really cool piece. Like I really liked what his, his piece was sincere. You got the feeling that he was like, you know what? I'm over it. I'm not doing it. And he like, he made a stand, which is kind of cool, right? Yeah. Like, well, it's because he was in reference to Chaz and I talking about it. Cause I told him, I was like, you and Travis both would go. I guarantee you would go. And so then Travis wrote a rebuttal piece, which was like, I absolutely would not. I'm morally opposed to it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, in, in a weird way, I'm, I'm I don't agree with that. I would go. I, mean, I have gone, and I look forward to going some more wherever yeah. I'm allowed to go but uh, or can go, you know, can pay for. But um, I just think it's cool that Travis made – and Chaz both, that they've made their stand, and good for them. Yeah, I agree. Good for um, them. Local surfers on the North Shore, David, upset. And an ongoing – every year we seem to talk about this a little bit. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but um, – No, I haven't. Okay, so – on Instagram, it was put on out there on Instagram last week by um, Kala Alexander, and he reposted something that somebody else had put up. He was just kind of pushing the message forward, so to speak. So I don't know if this is Kala's words, or I think it's the repost. But okay. basically, North Shore Surfers last Saturday, a couple of days ago, had a big meeting in the Velzeland parking lot about how come there aren't more Hawaiian surfers in the WSL events. And I'll quote exactly from the Instagram. This is what they wrote. In case those of you at the WSL have forgotten about Hawaii, it's the birthplace of surfing. To make local and Hawaiian surfers chase points around the world just to be in their own contests is a travesty. Do the right thing. We deserve representation. Not all of our people can afford to travel the world, but they definitely deserve a chance to be in our contest without having to travel. Then, in all caps, it says, Please join Dehui at VLAN Park this Saturday. It's time to rally and organize. We will meet to discuss the limitations the WSL is putting on local wave riders being pushed aside to foreigner surfers in their own breaks here in Hawaii. All professional surfers, professional bodyboarders are encouraged to attend this Saturday. If you're heading to a path of professional surfing, bring your ideas and your aloha. More information to come. Please feel free to regram this and spread the word. Mahalo. And any questions, you can direct message Mahina at Dahui. So I don't know what's come of this Saturday meeting, but I've heard some reverberations 
The Coconut Wireless has told me, and again, these are just parking lot rumors that I've heard from people in Hawaii, that there's some mention of the Hawaiian surfers forming some sort of union to unionize in some way. There's some mention of them making it difficult for the WSL to do business in Hawaii. There's some mention of a group paddle out during one of the events as a form of protest. Again, this is all rumor and innuendo that I've heard through the coconut wireless, but people are are established in that community and these things, you know, there's where there's smoke, there's fire. So my question to you is, do Hawaiian surfers deserve more representation in Hawaiian events or are these not Hawaiian events? Are these international events that just happen to be taking place in Hawaii? Your thoughts? They do not deserve special accommodation over any other nationality or ethnic group, period. Definitively, period. You know what I mean? Like it is an international. Yes, you deserve all the respect in the world when somebody comes to your backyard, when it comes to getting waves, all that sort of thing. But if it's a competition and this thing is traveling around the world, are we making special accommodation for every local group in that neighborhood that we go to? No, we're not because it's an international event. You need to qualify through the same methods everybody else qualifies through and earn your place into this thing. Now, if your response is, all right, then your contest is not welcome here. Fine. We'll go do, we can't do the pipe masters anymore. You don't want us to have the pipe masters then we won't. We'll go do our contests somewhere else. And to be honest, maybe that's behind the WSL's pivot where they're going to finish the series in Indonesia eventually. Maybe they're recognizing, hey, this Hawaiian community is actually getting too much leverage against us as a professional entity. We need to now diversify and recognize that there's actually unbelievable waves in Indonesia and elsewhere. And maybe we need to go honor those surfing communities. You bring up some great points. So um, I guess from the Hawaiian standpoint, the viewpoint, and I'd like to get some more information from them, but I'm wondering, would they be okay with just purely all local surfers in a pipeline event? Like, would that please them? Would that, is that what they're aiming for? Is that what they want? And if so, I say more power to them. Look, they're kind of doing that with the Eddie, and that's a story I'll get to in a minute, but it's become a grassroots event again. And should the Pipe Masters go back to a grassroots event where it's just Hawaiian surfers? I'm okay with that. I mean, as a fan, I'm not. I want the I want this thing to kind of go away. I want the best surfers in the world. And and there's a lot to excavate here. You know, there's pipeline specialists, and you and I have talked about this ad nauseum every year. It seems like we talk about it, but this Always year it was up. brought up again, which leads to what you're saying. Maybe the WSL is just kind of fed up with it. But let me ask you this. Yeah. You know, you've kind of answered this question. So this begs the question, David, and I want you to answer this. Is a WSL, WCT World Championship legitimate if this championship is based solely on points from Australian, Tahitian, Fijian, J-Bay, Mavericks or Jaws, and a finale in the Mentawise? It is awarded without a Pipeline Masters only because Pipeline is no longer a part of the WSL championship because the North Shore community i.e. local surfers, their demands are untenable and their public opposition and public bullying and their surf spot event takeovers are making doing business on the North Shore for the WSL simply too much. Bad blood is so great that it's clear the WSL is unwanted. And so the WSL is forced to pull out and leave. If all of these conditions are the case, is the WSL championship legitimate based on those things and perhaps 
throw Lamar in there as well. Would you support it? Is it a valid 100%. Morally, I would have to get behind it because I do feel like, yes, Hawaiian surf culture is super important to surf culture at large. However, we're only a couple hundred years into this. I mean, not even. And let's say the lineage goes on for a thousand years. You guys would be wise to maintain that legacy for the next 900 years. The way that you're positioning yourself, you might ice yourself out of the next 100 years of legacy, and Indonesia might take over the next 100 years. Would you watch a Red Bull Pipeline Specialist event? Of course. Well, that, and that's my point is you guys already have that. You want to have a Hawaiian-only event. No, they don't. But well, it's not Hawaiian-only, but the, the Dahui shootout? Yeah, right. Okay, it's so, not Hawaiian-only, but it really kind well, of— Well, it could be. And it kind of is. It should be. That's what they want. It isn't on paper, but it kind of is in theory. So so what's wrong with that then? You're right. I forgot about it. Nothing's wrong with it. No, but I mean, why are they complaining if they already have this That's my point is you guys are welcome to do whatever you want on your own terms. But when the WSL comes to your backyard and they're paying you a paycheck. Well, they're not. They are. When you surf in their event, you get a paycheck for surfing in their event. So you're saying. But they're saying not everybody gets. Their problem is not everyone's represented. They're feeling like. The people who qualified are represented. I agree. I'm just, I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you their case. Like the reason they're having this is they feel like they're underrepresented at their events. Yeah. Guess what? You have to qualify to be represented, just like everybody else did. I agree. They're so, saying, no, we no, don't. But here's, this is our backyard. So, you should just put us in your event. That's which is saying. insane. That's going, I'm not, not that's, doubting that. I'm just that's going you. to an employer. That's going to some sort of – the WSL is a business. It's an employer. That's going to the employer and being like, you owe me a salary, and I'm going to come in and just start working for you today. And they, because whatever, you know, there's not enough of this minority ethnic group represented in your company. And I represent that group. So you need to hire me and come in and do it. And the company has a right to say, well, that's not how we run our business. The way that we run our business is you have to submit a resume and we're going to hire you based on your qualification and all right. that sort of thing. You can't just demand to come work I, for the hey, company. I agree. So let me ask you and, this. So, if the WSL said, hey, you guys, we're going to give you our permit for the January event, the February event, the the Volcom or whatever it's called now. We're just going to give it to you. We're leaving. So here's our permit. You can have that permit or you can have the pipeline master's permit. We're done. We're done with the North Shore. The Vans Triple Crown is over. Is that going to please you? Like what exactly are your demands? Like, and it seems to me that that would please. I mean, in other words, how many Hawaiians do you want in your events? And if they say all, then here you go. And does the WSL walk? I, I would say the the compromise would be do a specialty event where it's not – You obviously this doesn't fit the well, format. See, my feeling for is from the WSL standpoint is that we've been compromising yeah, and doing right. – like this is, a, this is a headache now. Like, th- like we've been yeah, trying but, of course, but to it do a, this. We've been trying to do the right thing. And yeah. it's gotten to a place where we just keep getting bullied by this group of local surfers to the point that – like just tell us what you want. Yeah. Do you want us to give you all – $10,000 and everybody's into the event. Like, just tell us what you want so we know what it is you want. And then we'll determine whether we're in or out. And you look at it as a business. So I would look at it and go, look, if we give you those things that you're asking for, is that monetizable? Is that equitable for us as a business? Like, can we sell this specialty event to our sponsors and to our viewers and make money off of it? And if the answer is no, then don't agree to do it. And if well, the answer absolutely. is yes, then do it. But what I think what to your argument is when they'll, they'll ask, they'll, they'll ask bullied again. Next they'll year. ask for that. They'll get it. And then they'll 
ask for another inch. Exactly. Or they'll take the mile when you gave them the inch. Yeah. So that's what's happened traditionally. Exactly. That's the problem is that the legacy here is that it's just an ongoing, we're not getting enough. Yeah. So maybe that's the case. So, okay, we're sorry. We're out. We tried. Didn't work. I understand your position completely. Here's the permit. Good luck. Call Red Bull. Somebody will do it. Yeah. And we're gone. WSL will not have a North Shore season. Yep. I think that's where we're at. We will have a contest at Jaws. And we will have one at Mavericks, and we'll have one around the world, and we will determine a world title. Yep. And, and I, so to your from point. From a fan's perspective, it's a bummer because we've been, you know, I've been a part of the Pipeline Master since I was 11 years old, watching it on ABC with Bob Beatty and and the guy that's now a girl. What's his name? Bruce Jenner. Yeah. So, I mean, that's we're conditioned to have, hey, the pipe masters, you know, but look, and we can maybe still have it. You know what? Maybe they have it. And that's it's, it's the Dahui's thing and Red Bull does it, but it's not a part of the WSL. As a fan, it's a super bummer. And you pose the question, does it kind of, um, I don't know, delegitimize or illegitimize a world champion who didn't win at pipe? And my answer, my question would be actually the opposite, which is if the Hawaiians, local Hawaiians are doing a pipe event that actually doesn't include Kelly Slater and real contenders that aren't from the North Shore, then does it delegitimize what they're doing? Like, look, you have well, the look, best surface in Lawrence is going to be in it. Well, okay, so that's that's awesome. I mean, but, here's the thing. But they're... we'll always have the question of, can John John beat Gabriel Medina out there? Can well, he beat who, Kelly Slater out there? Who's to say that they don't invite Gabe Medina to this thing? Like this now brings into the thing where you have to sanction your surfers. If you're a part of the WSL, you are not allowed to surf in this event. And right. You will not be recognized. In fact, you're going to be suspended for the whole year. If you if compete you surf, which in a non-WSL event. They've done WSL that before. Yeah. ASP has done that. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of how you have leverage over the labor force. I just think I really feel like they're icing themselves out. The local condition is going to ice themselves out if they play that hard of ball. And is it a small minority that's vocal? And there's a majority of people that are like, hey, this is good for the economy here. Well, and then that has run way off into a ditch as well where their economy, their local um, whatever has been pillaged. Their local resources have been pillaged Absolutely. by capitalist interests. So they have a legitimate complaint on that front. But I think that in the current kind of iteration of the WSL and everything is everybody's trying to find a happy medium where like we protect your resource. We help protect your resources, invest in local infrastructure, community building, all that sort of thing, and then come through and definitely use it for our own capitalist interests, but still give back and everybody can win here. I've read online that in the North Sh- on the North Shore in the summer, it's actually worse. Traffic and tourism is through the roof in the summertime on the North Shore. Yeah. So the argument that the WSL brings economy, which I'm sure it does in the wintertime, could be said that, look, there's economy there. There's tourism there with or without the WSL. With or without the waves, basically. Yeah, with or without the waves. But the point is, is that heads are in beds. Regardless, okay. So now maybe the maybe the um, the VRBO or the Airbnb benefits from these industry types renting houses for two months, but to suggest that that's going to go away, that nobody else is going to rent those things, may be far fetched. Like I guess what I'm saying is the 
is it negligible the amount of economy that's brought to the area? In other words, if sure, the WSL brings economy to the area, if it leaves, won't that economy simply get replaced by Japanese golfers or whoever, like yeah. me and you on vacation with our kids? Well, so you're, you're absolutely right. It will get replaced, but not to the professional surfing community. They won't be the ones earning the money. The professional golf community will. Yeah. So how, how much... So what professional surf community are you talking about in Hawaii? Like, who do you mean, like, exactly? Like, do you mean, like, Jamie Sterling? Or yeah, like Jamie Kalani O'Brien? Chapman. Those guys Nicole won't be getting Rothman, paid. Like but those you would guys. think that there would be some money for them. Like, how are they getting paid now? Through sponsorship? From yes. Ruka? Yeah. Well, they're still going to get that, right? Are you saying that's going to leave? I think, I think Ruka's sponsored dollars, in that case, are dependent upon all of the media in the world converging on Hawaii for the two or three months and Makua banging some bagging some clips. Well, they're and- still going to bag clips, right? Like Makua is still going to bag clips. Like that stuff's still going to get out there. It's not like there's only one distribution point and it's through the WSL. No, but I think the WSL, like the entire industry kind of moves. Plus, Zahui's going to have this specialty event. At, they're going to have the Pipe Masters still. The Pipe Masters okay. is going to exist and it's going to be Kalani and it's going to, Ruka's going to be there. And like, it could be argued that everything's going to be there still except for the WSL events. Like there's it, still going to be a North Shore season. It could be there's argued that. There's still going to be a triple crown maybe. Maybe Vans just does a triple crown without the WSL sanctioned. Let me ask you this. If the Dehui Den runs that event, I mean they run an event, but let's say they run this new version of the event that we're talking about where the yeah. Pipe Masters doesn't exist. It does. It's called Do, – it's just – Okay. Not a WSL. There's no WSL surfers in the event. Do they have the infrastructure to like get it out live streaming to as many eyeballs as the WSL does? Like we know they could put together probably a live not stream. Yes, yeah, probably but, not as many. But if they take baby bites here and they get, you know, U of H, Puna House media department involved. I, I mean, I think that because this brings us to the Eddie. Because I'm I'm thinking, okay, the Eddie's going to run. The iCal family is going to do it. They're going to serve macaroni and pokey, and it's going to be like maybe you'll get a trophy. There won't be any prize money, but it'll be a real cool rootsy family Hawaiian thing the way it used to be, the way that maybe the Duke was or something, you know, like kind of old school. I think technology is out of place. Are you telling me that we're not going to be watching it live streamed off of Kelly Slater's live stream or, or Ruka's not going to have, hey, we're, we're going to film it, you guys. Of course. You know, without we, any sanctioning, the iCows are going to be like, yeah, film it. I don't care. You know, like we, it's going to be out there. We're going to see it live. We're going to see it. And then we're going to complain every step of the way that they didn't have a replay of that last wave sure. and multiple camera angles and, and graphics and scores. Next year we will. Like, because- just like we have been complaining about with the WSL. Right. I mean, I'm kind of arguing that the WSL could also be putting themselves in a bad position. Like in 10 years, everyone could be up to speed with doing it on their own. And you just got this event over here and that event over there. And it's an argument to be made because with technology, that's a possibility. But I think that the WSL has built all of this foundation and groundwork. And they're like, look, that's what we're offering you is the ability to kind of just Turn plug key. and, plug and yeah. play. And if you guys want to try to figure out how to do that on your own and go through all these hurdles with technology and fund it and try to find a way to make it profitable, good luck. Go ahead because that's a 10-year learning curve. Yeah, I, and I don't even know if profitable is like in the equation. Like, I think oh, like, Right, for, it's not profitable currently. Well, and I think for like the iCows, for instance, or even yeah. like say the Pipeline Masters as an iteration of just the specialists that aren't WSL surfers, you get some people to – everyone's going to be live streaming it on Facebook. You're going to be able to see it, right? That's all you and I want. Um, and – Look, if you, dude, it, it isn't. To be honest, it isn't all that I want. I've watched that uh, backdoor shootout in recent years. Yeah, 
I know it's pretty. It's bad. unwatchable. Yeah, it's unwatchable, and the commentators aren't as good. Yeah, the commentators and are not they good. miss they act, the cameramen actually miss waves. But, but and then you hear that. But is that a profit center for? I mean, I agree with you from a fan's. It's going to have to be. It needs. It's going to need help, obviously, from like, a right, fan's perspective. I agree with that. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, it, will it get to a place where they're like, "Hey, everybody's calling for better commentators. That means we have to pay somebody, so we need a sponsor. So now let's get to that place. Red Bull, will you do this? And, and then Red Bull's going to want control, and they're going to exactly. say, "Hey, and now we're going to have conflict between the local surfers it's, and Red exactly. Bull, and it's going to be same conflict, different players. Exactly. That's the point." And so the local community is going to go, wow, this is really difficult. You're still plugged in. The local community is going to be like, wow, this is really difficult to actually put all these pieces in place. I wonder if the WSL would just plug it in for us. Like we should go back to square one. You know what I mean? If it even exists at that point. Yeah. So here's my other thought is Hawaiians, there's first of all, Nobody gets um, special accommodation, right? It's not like Californian surfers do or Australian surfers or Brazilian do. If anything, Hawaiian surfers trying to qualify for the tour have it a better shot because there's the Triple Crown events. They have more uh, 10,000-point events in their neighborhood, in their backyard, than any other region on the planet. So they're actually gifted the most opportunity to qualify for the tour without having to travel around the world to do so. So in my mind, you guys already have the easiest path towards qualification. Why should there now be additional special accommodation made? There's not that accommodation made for Brazilians, Australians, because anybody else. Because we're Hawaiians, the birthplace of surfing and think about the heritage and the legacy and we've let you come over here for 30 years and surf our waves and we let just, you, you I'm know, telling, like no, that's their, that's what they say. I'm just yeah. saying like they're, that's their trip, you know, like exactly. That's a trip. And it's not, it's not relevant to anything else. Like if there's a business coming through, like I said, you can either participate in the business or you can't feel free to boycott the business. If you don't want anything to do with it, don't do it, but you can't come in and be like, Hey, we're taking over your business and can continue paying us a paycheck. Well, I, I, you know, <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah, we we'll will. see. We'll see about that because they've been effective. And some of what I'm reading online too is that, um, sort of to to more to bolster your point is that it's really hard for South Africans to qualify for the QS, and it's totally. really hard for Brazilians, like based on yeah. exchange rates, currency, what's going on with monetary situations we talked about twiggy baker not being able to make it from he got the notification and immediately dropped everything in south africa to go surf in the piahi challenge and still arrived an hour late for his heat because that's how long it takes to get from south africa to maui was he in the parking lot holding a meeting complaining that somebody needs to make a special accommodation for him yeah, but I mean that the one thing is that you know the Hawaiians are saying it's hard for them to travel. You know, now the other side of this is that Sonny Garcia posted something on Instagram this week, basically saying, "I'm proud of the yellow Vans jersey that I get to wear. Um, I've been doing this for two and a half, three decades. I've worked hard. I continue to work hard. If you want to be um, allowed the opportunity to represent Hawaii in these things, then go out and work hard. Do right. it." You know, and so he kind of took the WSL side of things going, hey, man, I worked hard. You don't just get it for free. Yeah. I had to bust my ass. Yeah. And some other people brought up the point, hey, if it's so hard 
to qualify for Hawaiians, why not go to the mainland and train at lowers or whatever and do the events up and down the... I would argue that Hawaii is pretty centrally located. You fly to Australia and do exactly. QSs there. You fly to California, you do QSs there. You fly to Brazil. I mean, it's a pretty centrally located place relative to... The only thing, place that's not close to is Europe. Look, the absolute reality is the WSL and nobody else is putting up any barrier of entries for Hawaii as opposed to anywhere else in the world. The only barrier of entry is doing all the hard work and gaining the finances to actually chase your dreams. But that is still in place for everybody in California, for everybody in Brazil, for everybody in South Africa and everywhere else. So the Hawaiians, it's not as if somebody's blocking Hawaiians specifically. And again, I would argue there's actually fewer hurdles for them because they have so many good qualifying events in their backyard. So go on stab and read Jake Marshall's story about being injured and not being able to requal to qualify this last year like it's a sob story but suck it up who cares dude you tweak your back everybody runs into issues nobody owes you anything you have to go get it yourself you know what i mean so i i i'm not i'm not about the sob story i'm not about a special accommodation being made i understand that the wsl is going to set up the qs so that it only lasts for three months out of the season that basically it'll allow the guy in hawaii that is Bussing tables at Jameson's so that he can fly to Brazil to do QS events. And just really, it's it's almost like the tail wagging the dog or whatever that phrase is. Yeah. And um, this now allows them to actually save money from Jameson's or wherever you work. Use that money for a three-month power stint to go qualify through the QS. There's right. just three months, California, Hawaii, and somewhere else where this QS qualification takes yeah. place rather than a whole year where yeah. you're literally on the road trying to chase down, you know, getting on the CT. Right. It's like a season. So you prep for the season, you yeah. go compete in the season, and, and then you come back. And, and the results again. are your results. Yeah. I like it. So can you bring us up to speed on the Eddie then? I know it got called off and then now it's called back on basically um, yeah, the, without Quicksilver as the sponsor. Yeah. The ICAP family decided, hey, let's continue the legacy of our son and brother and um, and there won't be any prize money. It's just going to be, um, you know, I'll, I'll read the quote from Clyde yeah, Eichow. It says, even if we have to have coconuts for trophies, you can come down with a can of sardines. Uncle Clyde will feed you rice and we'll have the event, Clyde Eichow said. It's just a whole new road and a very exciting road. And the main thing is that the family wants to carry to con continue to carry on Eddie's legacy and what he was all about. Um, so this is the first in the paradigm shift of events getting back into local hands completely. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's fascinating to me because it's kind of a case study. Can Will the Pipeline Masters t turn into this? Will it right. be back to guys sitting on Jamie O'Brien's or whoever's front porch and judging it and drinking Red Bulls? And you know what, you know what I mean? Just more rootsy, yeah. just a full rootsy event. And will I guess it's kind of like be careful what you wish for if you're the local surfers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, seems like you know a lot of you have been had the ability to get into this event, and you have, and you've done well. You know, there's a, I can name guys that have done well in the local events. You know, Billy Kemper, Hank Gaskell, Jamie O'Brien, John John Florence, um, Evan Valier. Uh, 
I mean, the Mason Ho, I think, has probably gotten pretty far. In the um, Eddie, he's done well. Yeah. Well, I, I just mean like more like the real, like the Pipe Masters and the yeah. Sunset event. Yeah. Mason These guys have done well, yeah. you know? Um, who's Zeke, the, who's Zeke, the kid? Zeke Lau, Zeke Lau. Who's the kid that won Haleev a couple of years ago? Um, Ola Eliogram. Oh, yeah. All of these guys, like, you've been represented, but it, is it not enough? Like, what, like, and it would be interesting, and I'm surprised you, you should probably know this. I bet you know this. If you surf in the HIC, which I think is only Hawaiians, right? Isn't it an HPAC thing? I don't know. I think the top two HIC guys get into the Triple Crown. Then I think eight of the HPAC series guys get into the Triple Crown. Like, I think there's like at least... And then if you're a Hawaiian like Zeke Lau, who's already in the Triple Crown, that spot gets replaced with somebody else. So I think there's... I don't know the number. I wouldn't be surprised if there's upwards of 12 or 20 guys from Hawaii that get into the Triple Crown. Right. Which then gives you a chance. Is there... Is there 16 guys that get a chance to surf through Sunset and Haleiwa to get into the Pipe Masters? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. By the way, uh, it looks like they are starting the Hawaiian Pro today. Well, it'd be eight. fun to look at the heat sheet and see how many guys are local guys. Right. Like, aren't you in the event? Like, aren't you guys already in the event? Like, what is, that's what I don't understand. And I wish I knew. Yeah. What is it exactly that you want? Right. Like, what is it? Yeah. No, I agree. That's a great question. Tell us what you Full want. Full control of everything all the time. Yeah. And a big check and yeah. then the ability to complain about it. Right. Or not. I don't know. It just yeah. seems like it's not clear. Yeah. You know, this sort of like, hey, we're not getting represented. It's just kind of vague. And didn't we already address this the last 30 years? Haven't we addressed this? Yeah. The interesting thing is, right, the busting down the door years, there was only two spots for non-locals. It was all locals. Right. And that's probably where they draw some of their power. They're like, dude, it used to only be for local guys. Let's turn it back into that. And yeah. you're kind of saying, well, that's the Dehui shootout. And okay. Yeah. Well, um, in regard to the WSL, we entirely forgot to recap Portugal, which we're not going to go back and do at this point. But listeners did point out to us that we did forget to do that. Um, one thing that's transpired since then is Kelly is scheduled to compete in the Pipe Masters for his first event in quite a few events because of his foot injury. Not only is he surfing currently, but he's still rehabbing that thing. So it should be in better condition by the time Pipe happens, um, which could potentially affect the world title, of course. Um, one other little detail on the WSL side Caroline Marks is the youngest ever professional female surfer to qualify for the world tour. She's 15 years old and she'll be surfing next year on the women's side. Wow. Yeah. What about fantasy? Am I kicking your ass in fantasy surfing? You know what? I, uh, I meant to prep that information and I never got around to it. I think you might be losing by a few points. What do you mean you think? I, I think, think I might be winning by a lot of points. That's you, what I think. You did good for a couple of events. All right. I'm not going to talk crap. I'll just pull it up while we're talking. Yeah, pull it up. Um, would you put Kelly Slater on your Pipe Masters team at this point? I would. Yeah. Totally. He's going to be cheap, first of all. Yeah. And then, obviously, there's nobody with a better track record. Right. Well, I'm looking at my team here. Anyway, I don't want to bore people with me studying my team, but Nazir had an incredible run of waves, speaking of Portugal, right? Nazare. Nazare, Nazir. <laughs> <laughs> Only because two or three years ago, people started correcting us and it was Nazare or Nazare. Something, something closer to Nazare anyway. 
Our, our pronunciations are always wrong. <laughs> That's uh, Nazare. Uh, Nazare has had an incredible run of basically hundred foot waves. Like it's just, it's just, it's so beyond the realm of what's normal for ninety nine point nine percent of the surfing population that it's yeah. almost a different sport. It's yeah, it's just different. It it's is. almost like not worthy of discussion. It's worthy of discussion, but it's not like an actual wave that you and I would ever surf. It's such a burger. Like it's I don't know if it's even a burger anymore. I used to call it a burger. I mean it's, it doesn't break top to bottom, but right. it breaks your back. Literally. Yeah. That's the story. Andrew Cotton's back. Yeah, right? let's not bury the lead. <laughs> oh, yeah. It broke a biggest, craziest wipeout I've seen in a long time, dude. But my point with it being a burger is you're right, it doesn't break top top to bottom. So there was nowhere for him to go on that wave to escape potential death and he picked the worst possible hey, why he, scenario why did he pick that line <laughs> it was the worst line ever but that's my point is on burgers you don't really have a choice like there's no speed at the bottom half of the wave yeah so you, you kind of have high to stay high it. but then it's running faster than you could possibly go on that board so he ends up the wave breaks he he basically does like a mid-face bottom turn and uh, it seemed like he was going right and decided to go left at the last second I think so the right breaks over the treacherous cliff face. So you don't really want to go that way unless there's no set out the back guaranteed. And maybe he didn't have that, have that knowledge. So he opts to go left. And you're right. It is a closeout left. He can't make it. And rather than kind of racing to the bottom and maybe trying to outrun the whitewash, he does kind of a mid-face bottom turn. And the wave barrels and then breaks at the halfway point, And he jumps out of his... Uh, foot straps back onto his butt right where the wave is breaking and exploding. So it just explodes him upward. He does, he's not able to penetrate the water. He just explodes upward with the explosion of the wave. And you see him in the whitewash, I mean, 70 feet from where he jumped off his board. It's literally like 50 plus feet. A cannon shot. Cannon shot. And then he lands on his back, of course, in flat water. And that's what breaks his back. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Well, that you know, we wish our best to Andrew. Of course, everybody does it. It's just an, it's just a mind blowing situation. The, the size of those waves, and it's like I said, sometimes I'm like, can we even comment on this? Like, I don't even have any desire to. It, on some level, it's a little boring. Uh, well, like I'm kind of over it. I'm kind of like, uh, okay, the- here they go again. They're just racing these. Like, it's basically an avalanche. They're racing an yeah. avalanche. And I don't think it would be boring if I was there. I'd be excited to watch it. I'd be into it. But at some point, are, am I getting jaded to these guys? Yeah. It's so hard to even put into context for us to fully appreciate it, basically, yeah, is what it is. Yeah, I think that's what it is. So the the one thing that is worth discussing is the drama surrounding the wipeout itself. Um, Andrew's quote directly was i felt like i was floating for a few seconds i thought whoa that's weird this is when he actually gets exploded into the air yeah uh he says this shouldn't be happening and then it was like being hit by a lorry like straight to my back then i think i landed on my back in the flats and got mowed over by the white water which is exactly what happened when you look at the video obviously i pulled my vest and Hugo came to get me, but I missed the sled. I was in so much pain, I couldn't even move to grab the sled. Went through a second whitewater wave that came through, and then Hugo came around and actually pulled me up onto the sled. End quote. But it turns out that's not actually the end of it, because 
he was on the sled on the ski and another wave came in and hit the ski sideways, flipping the jet ski over. So Andrew's now in the water with a broken back. Thankfully he had a vest on. So that kept him floating upright and he actually just got pushed in by waves and he floated all the way to the beach with a broken back. So the rescue mission went South, but he said, even, even still had it not been for Hugo, you know, he probably would have died. So wow. really, really dramatic That's situation. Scary. Yeah. Crazy dramatics. Um, Does he ever surf big waves again or has he had a good question? Uh, That's his run. Yeah. I would hang it up. You did it, dude. Move on. Yeah. Tell me know. about the Pipeline Masters. Um, what do you want to know? Well, who's who's in the running to be the world champ? Can you break down the, yeah. the world championship real quick? Because I'm looking at my team and I'm like, Jordy Smith, really? Do I want to put him on my team? Yeah. Um, Who's going to be our world champion? I've got it somewhere in my notes. Before I get into that, would you like to know the rankings on Fantasy Surfer real quick? Only if I'm between you and Between you and I. Yeah. You have 6,738 points. Drum roll, please. I have 6,673 points. Who's so winning? you have more. I have more. Thank six, you. 6637 to 6738. It's been a great season. So I guess it's coming down to pipe. Last year I gave you a $100 bill. Right? And I gave you a $100 bill the year before. Right. So this literally is 101 point difference between us. Wow. Highway 101. Every year it's crazy how close you how and I get. How bad we both are. <laughs> well, we're terrible. This is our worst year ever, I think, to be honest. We're both terrible. But to only have 100 points splitting the difference in a 6,600-point game is crazy. That is crazy. It's crazy. Now, is Fantasy Surfer just incredibly hard to master? Like, I, I'm in another league, too, with about 15 guys. I've never won. And I look at my team. I'm like, this is a pretty good team. Like, And then there's guys that – I don't know what they do, but there's one guy that always wins. Yeah. Like, is there something I'm doing wrong? Is it that hard? Or is it just this season was just such a – up and down season. Every Kelly season gets hurt. Is, People get know? hurt. Every season is, and it's like if one person's figuring it out, then clearly there is a equation to it. Yeah. If one guy's consistently doing well, he seems to be doing well. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to know the world title scenarios heading yes. into pipe? All right. If John John finishes first or second at pipe, he'll clinch the world title. Period. First or second at pipe for John John. Okay. Yep. If he finishes third, Gabriel will need to win the event for Gabe to win it. Yeah. yeah. If Florence finishes fifth, Gabriel still needs to win the event to win the world so, title. So John John can finish fifth and be the world champion as long as Gabe doesn't win. Correct. Now, if John John finishes ninth, Gabriel needs to get second, and Jordy would need to win the event for, for Jordy who? to win the world title. For Jordy to win the world title. Yeah. Okay. And if John John finishes thirteenth or twenty fifth, Gabriel would need to finish fifth to clinch. Smith would need to finish second to clinch, and then Julian Wilson could actually win the event and win the world title. But John John's not going to finish 13th or 25th. Wow. He's, he's only Medina is kind of on the rise here. Yep. So I don't have any faith in Jordy Smith. Do you? Well, I don't a have pipe, faith in Jordy to win. Pipe? Jordy will not win the event. If it's real pipe. He won't win the event no matter what it is. And John John won't get 13th or 25th. Right. Period. So the reason why I say that with such confidence is I can give you their stats since they've been on tour. Yeah. John John has gotten a fifth, a ninth, a fifth, a second, a 13th, and a fifth. 
So he's got a 13th once, right. but like his, when you average that out, his average finish is okay. a 6.5 position. Right. But uh, if you throw out the 13th, it's probably like a exactly. four. Yeah. Whereas Gabriel's result since he's qualified is a third, a second, a second, a 13th, a ninth, and a ninth, averaging 6.33. So Gabe's averaging 6.33. John John's averaging 6.5. But by and large, they make round five. Yeah, for sure. So And Jordy, not so much. Yeah. John John actually hasn't made the quarters only once since 2013. When he qualified, mm. so he pre- he pretty much always makes the quarters. So um, really, it's John John's to lose by the numbers, but Gabriel, I feel like, is really the more tenacious competitor. Yeah. So Gabe can kind of find his way into the final almost assuredly, whereas John John at times, I mean, John John has only made the final. So if once. it's a man on man final between Gabe and John John, then is it John John's world title already? Yeah. Because yeah. if even if he finishes second, he wins the world okay. title. That's too bad. Yeah. That would have been fun. I don't even know if they're on opposite ends of the draw or how that all shakes out, but that yeah. would be amazing. Hey, dude, could you imagine if it came down to them two in the final? How good would that be? And then Gabriel wins the final, but John wins the world title. Ooh. Everybody wins. That's kind of happened before, I think. When yeah. did that happen? Yeah. Anyway. Okay, well, anything um, else? I do not have uh, anything prepared kook or duke-wise. I got a couple. Uh, I think my must-see moment is Jackson Dorian at the Surf Ranch. <laughs> yeah. Right? That was pretty cool. Right? Yeah. I mean, really awesome. Like, I, we've seen a lot of Surf Ranch footage, and um, not a lot of it wows me. That was one where I really felt my heart was warmed by it. Jackson Dorian is Shane Dorian's 11-year-old son, Kelly Slater's grandson. And no, I was, no, no, his godson. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> his grandson. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! Yeah, there's some conspiracy right there. That's awesome. Because um, we all know that Kelly is John John's grandson. Or no? <laughs> wow, you're getting it so confused. He's just, he's just a straight up father. Just a straight up dad. Yeah, straight up dad. Um, so Jackson Dorian, dude, it, it's just heartwarming to see this little Grom, and he's really articulate. By the way, like they ask him he, about it. Yeah, I was, was really charmed by like the way that he communicated. Um, great footage of him and his dad both surfing that wave together and their, you know, godfather, Kelly. Yeah. It's really kind of a magical moment. So that's my must-see moment. I'll post it on spitpodcast.com. And then my Duke, Ramon Navarro, for his efforts in concert with Patagonia and protecting his home stretch of coastline in Chile Yes, Punta Lobos. Did you see this story? Yeah, great choice too. Yeah, Thank you. He's a full hero. Full on, dude. And Chris Malloy did a great job shining a light on this via um, a film called The Fisherman's Son that he did with Patagonia. It's a 25-minute film, well worth watching. It came out two or three years ago. I'm going to give you a quick quote to explain this story. It says, um, The point, Punta Lobos, has been purchased with donations and matching funds. Uh, The matching funds came from Patagonia to keep the surrounding area in its natural state by limiting or prohibiting development. And in a neat concert, uh, convergence of events, Puta Lobos will be dedicated and officially named as a world surfing reserve this November. On October 25th, the president of Chile visited the area and signed a law to ban all plastic bags in more than but plastic bags in retailers in more than a hundred 
of the coastal cities. So there's a lot of different efforts in this project, but mainly the government had set forth like a $7 billion project to have a series of dams and development along that coastline. And um, this kind of grassroots movement secured a bunch of funds and then purchased the land to make it a world surf reserve instead of being developed cool by developers yeah that's sweet so um one quote that i'll give you from christian beamish i believe was that um the stopping of this project should provide some inspiration to those fighting reckless development in the rest of the world whether it be the pipeline through the great bear rainforest further efforts to run a toll road over the life source of the trestles surfing area or backroom deals to control the California coastal commission. Navarro shared with Surfline some background on the preservation efforts and the most significant message being that if he can rally his local surfing community and the world to protect their break from development, you can too. End quote. Very well done. One final thing we need to shine a light I on. A, I have something that I want to mention. Real yeah, quick. go. And it, and we're going back to the Eddie because I forgot to bring this up. But I read this guy's take on it online, and I think this kind of summarizes the way I feel about it, about the Eddie not being with Quicksilver anymore and all that. And this is what this guy said. Quicksilver did an amazing job with this event. They poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into honoring Eddie Icow and running a world-class big wave event that had a real hardcore mystique and evolved into the best big wave contest ever. It developed a global appreciation for Eddie and his legend in the surf community and beyond. I can't in any way speak for Eddie Icao, but I personally think that he would be very grateful for what Quicksilver did. So I don't get why everyone is dissing on Quicksilver here. Credit where credit is due. I am in no way related to Quicksilver, but I am definitely grateful for what they achieved. It inspired and enriched me as a surfer. Beyond that, whatever the iCal family does from this point forward remains to be seen, and I wish them well. Endless aloha. Who is that from? Just some guy who, just some internet commentator, okay. but I thought it was well put. And, I do, I do too. Because a lot of people are kind of dissing on Quicksilver like it was this big corporate money grab. And sure, guess what? Money's to be made. You know, and yeah. believe me, I'm sure the iCows did pretty well too. I don't know, but I, point is, is that let's not diss Quicksilver here. Like they, they did a pretty damn good job. You know, remember when Dane did that um, Chapter Eleven film yeah. and he kind of dissed Quicksilver? Yeah. Or I, I don't even know if he dissed him, but he told his side of the story and he had hard feelings about it. And my thought is kind of like, you know what, dude. Somebody paid you to do a job. You accepted that paycheck and what was required of you. And maybe things went south at some point, but it feels very disingenuous to then badmouth the person whose money you accepted, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. That, I don't know. I think that, that I can understand being upset by an employer and needing to kind of like vocalize it. But at the same time, I think that there's a dignity that you can maintain by not doing that and understanding that. Look, Quicksilver was kind of looking out for their – they're trying to look out for everybody's interests and maybe something got mishandled. But to publicly defame them after accepting the money and yeah. committing to doing something and following through on doing something and then badmouthing them later is very distasteful to me. And so um, – Yeah, there's a certain lack of business acumen amongst – Surf culture in general, maybe, perhaps. Maybe that's There's, too general. There is is a lack of business acumen. There's also a lack of decorum. Yeah, exactly. Which is a human thing. Right. You know? 
So, and I don't, to be I'm honest, buy some decorum. Where do you get that? <laughs> it's not for sale. Oh, really? Oh, uh, decorum.com. So, <laughs> uh, the good news is, I don't, I haven't seen the iCal family bad mouthing Quicksilver no, in any no, way. No, no, so, it's no, only they aren't. the they internet are is the one who's yeah, bad mouthing. Yeah, there's the people out there going, oh, it's good. You know, yeah. about Tom Quicksilver's lame. But, you know, it's like, okay, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Come on, people. Yeah. Well, at any rate, Scott. Uh, spitpodcast.com is where people can see everything that we've discussed in this episode chiming in in the comments yes. section spitpodcast.com that's where you go to chime in let us know what you're thinking where can they chime in on Instagram they can chime in on Instagram I guess it's Surf Splendor Podcast no. when are you going to make or when are we going to make a spit only Insta I'm down for it well for now at Boardroom Show. Boardroom Show. At and, Boardroom Show. And at Surf, at Surf Splendor. So chime in. Keep the conversation Who rolling. Who gets more commentary? Do, are you getting more energy from your Grit podcast with Jazz or from the Spit podcast with me? Equal engagement. Equal. So Jazz just stepped right in and just... Well, it's because I post equal amount right. of promotion associated with each show. You right. know what I mean? So well, then that, people your shows, the grit's a great show, so people should listen to it. I mean, there's so much good stuff out there. People just want more content. That's a thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, all right, dude. Anything else you got to share, Scott? No, I feel like we've covered a lot. All right. Well, then, in two weeks from now, we'll cover some more. Okay. Until then, adios and aloha. Maybe somewhere down the road away. Think of me and wonder where I am these days Maybe somewhere down the road when somebody plays Purple haze Well, it's all right Even when push comes to show Well, it's all right If you got someone to love Well, it's I'm just glad to be here, happy to feel that. And it don't matter if you're by my side.